It's not my message. It's a message that the Lord has laid upon my heart. And so the Lord has already preached to me. And I'm just sounding out that message to you today. Hopefully, it will be a blessing. Well, what is faith? What is faith? According to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hopefully evidence of things not seen it is believing God to keep his word though there may not exist any evidence of it at the moment see all I have all you have right now is a result of the promise of God it may be little in the eyes of many or other people, it may not be grand, but for you and me, it's enough. It is sufficient. And I can rest on that. You can rest on that. When the Old Testament prophet Elijah prayed for uh, rain, he prayed that it would rain. No water fell from the sky for many years. Nothing at all. Not a single raindrop, not a sprinkle. At the proper time, he went on top of Mount Carmel and began to pray that God would send rain. As he prayed, Elijah sent his servant to look out towards the sea. And the servant returned and said, I don't see anything, just blue sky. Elijah prayed again and, and then he sent his servant back for another look. When the man returned, he reported once again, I don't say anything but blue sky. Same thing. Elijah continued to pray until the servant came back and said, Now I see a small cloud about the size of a man's fist. So little. 
Elijah responded, let's get out of here. It's going to pour. The rain is going to pour any second. And it did. Genuine faith expects God to act simply because God said he would act. And faith continues to believe even when it can't see any evidence of his work. When the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it is not so much defining faith as it is declaring what faith does. The word evidence in this verse can also be translated as conviction. We are convinced of certain truths despite the fact that we may not have seen them yet. Take the wind, for example. We can see it, but we still believe it. We still believe it because we have seen its effects. We see mighty trees bowing in its force. We see little columns of leaves swirling into the air. Not only we see evidence, we can also feel it. In the same way, I see the abundant evidence of the existence of God. I feel His presence. I sense His power. I experience His love. I do not doubt His existence because I see the evidence of Him all around me. And that's why my faith blossoms. It blossoms in my heart. Throughout the Bible, God displays Himself as being faithful and worthy of our trust. We find one of the best examples of His faithfulness when Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, conquered the Promised Land. Now at one point, Joshua stood at almost the same spot where Abraham stood at Bethel some 476 years earlier. Abraham had come to a parting ways with his uh, nephew, you know, Lot, and he probably felt a little depressed. Lot had chosen the, the plains, uh, the Jordan Valley, leaving Abraham alone with his cattle and his servants. As Abraham stood there, perhaps with his head down, the Lord said to him in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Abraham looked to the north towards Mount Hermon, to the east towards Mount Gilead and Moab, to the south toward the wilderness area of Beersheba, and to the west towards the Mediterranean Sea. And Abraham believed God and the promise that God had given him. And so centuries later, Joshua stood in the same area. And as he looked to the north, the south, the east, and the west, he realized that as far as his eye could see, the children of Israel were dwelling in the land. Up toward Mount Hermon, 
the tribe of Asher, Zebulun, Neptali, and Issachar, and Manasseh, and established themselves. He looked towards Gilead and Moab, where the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh lived. To the west he viewed where Ephraim settled, looking southward towards Jerusalem, to the range of those mountains, through Hebron and to Beersheba, he knew that the tribes of Simeon, Dan, and Benjamin and Judah had made their homes there. Everything he could see belonged to God's people. And he knew that God had kept his covenant with Abraham to the letter. Some seven years earlier, as Joshua stood on the other side of the Jordan River, the conquest of the land still lay before him. And he had certain worries. The Israelites had heard about the land that is inhabited by giants. Their cities had high walls that reached the heaven with fierce and strong inhabitants that surely outnumbered Joshua's forces. As Joshua prepared to enter the land, God told him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 6, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses. Then in verse 6 he says, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto you, unto this people, thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto thy fathers to give them. God kept his word. The Israelites took all the cities despite their high walls and giants. Even with several kings united in a strong federation, God delivered their huge pagan allies into the hands of Joshua. And every place that Joshua put down his foot now belonged to the people of God. In seven years, they conquered the whole land. God destroyed the enemy kings, even as he promised. The word of God had proven faithful. And so Joshua gives this testimony. Please open your Bibles in Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45. Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45. This is the testimony of Joshua regarding the faithfulness of God. He says in Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45, There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. God remained faithful to his word, even though his people did not always remain faithful. The Israelites had broken covenant with God many, many times. At one point, they even tried to get someone to lead them back to Egypt. But God remained faithful to his promise. And you and I, we can rely on God's absolute faithfulness to keep his word. What was true of God then is still true to God now. Throughout history and to the present day, God has remained faithful to keep his word. God promised that he would send his son to be born of a virgin, to die for the sins of the world, 
that he might bring eternal life and redemption to all who would believe. In the book of Isaiah, God promised a child would be born. A son would be given, his own son, Jesus. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Two chapters earlier, God said in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And later Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 to 6, verse 8 to 9, and verse 12. He prophesied about this Messiah, what would happen to him. But he was wounded, he said, for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was his stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And then in verse 12 he says, And he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That includes us. Not one word of God failed. And not one word of God will fail. God promised the Messiah would be despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he was. God had promised that his enemies would pluck out his beard and spit on his face, and they did. God had declared that Christ would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, and that the silver would be thrown down on the house of the Lord and used to buy a potter's field. And it did happen. It all happened just as he said, exactly. And as we look around today, we don't need to go far. Just look around you. We see that God continues to keep his word. God said to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 25, Thus saith the Lord, When I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in the land that I have given to my servant Jacob. The world saw that miracle happen on May the 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation once more. No nation in history has ever come together again after its people have been ejected from their land for more than a few years. And God gathered His people from all over the world and established them in their land after more than 17 centuries of exile. 
God kept his promise. When churches gather for worship around the world, it is a witness to the faithfulness of God to keep his word. God declared that when his people rejected him, he would stretch out his hands to the Gentiles and they would receive the eternal life offered to them. As he said in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6, I will also give thee for a life to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Today we see the fulfillment of God's promise to bring salvation to the Gentiles. What God declared would happen has happened. What great hope and assurance that brings to us as children of God. His word cannot fail. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Again, we are told in the, in the book of Numbers, chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. And he said, He shall, shall he not do it? Or have he spoken and shall not make it good? You can stand today in faith in the word of God, assured that God loves you. And you can feel confident that all things work together for good because you love Him and have been called according to His purpose, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. To the child of God, the faithfulness of God brings glorious assurance and a blessed hope. But to those, listen, to those who are not children of God, it brings fear and terror. Because you can be sure that God will keep all of His Word. God has said that there is only one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus, according to 1st Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, according to John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus also said, I am the door of the sheep. And whoever come before me are thieves and robbers, according to John chapter 10, verse 7 to 8. Whosoever seeks eternal life through a progression of reincarnation or through their own efforts or through any religious system, if they trust in anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, then one day, one day, they will find that God will keep His word and will look upon their righteousness as nothing more than filthy rags. They will be rejected from His presence. That will be the saddest day to be rejected of Christ because they have rejected his only way, that is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 8, Be not deceived. Oh, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You can count on that. 
then you can expect to rip corruption. He will keep his word. The word of God tells us that a man who despises Moses' law was put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's the law. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 to 31, here's what it says. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite unto the grace of God. For we know him that had said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. And then here's what he says in verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says, and this is the record, that God had given to us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. He that had not the Son, he that had the Son had life, and he that had not the Son of God had not life. That is God's word. And God is faithful to keep his word. Isn't that terrifying? To fall in the hands of the living God. The wrath of God, oh my goodness. You cannot imagine the wrath of God. You can relate, you can understand, you might be able to comprehend some of the violence that's happening in the world. Say, it's terrible. But the wrath of God, unimaginable. Because if this terrifies you to fall in the hands of the living God, I urge you to ask Jesus to wash you and cleanse you from your sin. For Jesus has said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's a comfort. That's hope. He will receive you today. He will pardon your sins. And you can rejoice in the faithfulness of God to give His promises of eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. But you must come. You must come. If you will trust in Jesus Christ, God is faithful to account your righteousness in Christ. God is faithful to give you eternal life and you will live and reign with Him forever and ever, the Bible says. But if you reject Christ, then God is also faithful in His Word. And He will shut you out from the presence of God forever. He will keep His Word always. The proof of the Bible can be found anytime you want to look around. Not a single word of God has failed to this point. And if God has been faithful to this point, you can be sure he will, be, he will continue to be faithful to the end. Though heaven and earth pass away, his word shall not pass away. You can count on that. God keeps his word to all generations. From the beginning to the end, the word of God is true, faithful, and reliable. All his promises are yes 
and amen. In Him, there is neither shadow nor variableness of turning. What He said, He will do. And what a great assurance that brings to our hearts. For we know that the glorious future has promised to us no less than what is contained in the Word of God. Of course, God will perform His Word whether you worry about it or not. So you might as well be happy. You might as well rejoice and praise the Lord because He's going to do it anyhow. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And again I say rejoice. And here's another thing. God is able. He able. Able. Ganda ng presentation na lang natin. Yung katabi ng judge dito, bias eh. Dumulundag sa tuwa eh. Ako pinitigil ako sa inyo. God is it. I think those are three of the most victorious words in all of Scripture. He is able. God is able. It is so glorious when I feel my own weakness, see my own limitations, know that I have done my limit and have done as much as I can, though my work is failing. Oh yes, it does. Though my work is failing, I know He is able. God is faithful. He who has promised will perform His word despite our shortcomings, our fears, our lapses in faith. God will do His work and take care of you. His word will come to pass from generation to generation. He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Now, because God is able, because God is faithful, in fulfilling everything He said He will do as evidenced by the multitude of promises He has already fulfilled and many more He has promised that faith tells us He will most assuredly do exactly according to His sovereign will and power. Then we can walk by faith. Sa lahat pa naman ng mga pangako ng Diyos din hindi ka pa maglalakad ng nananang palatay. We can walk by faith. It's not an impossible thing. We can walk by faith. Even in this present generation that more wickedness is all around us that we can count. Living by faith is doing. Listen. Living by faith is doing. It's not thinking about it. You can think all day long about being faithful, but you need to do it. Living by faith is doing what you already believe. What you already believe about the unchanging word, the unchanging work, and the unchanging will of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now the question is how? In what practical ways can I do this? Can I walk in faith, live by faith? You know, there are 10 disciplines in the Christian life. 10 disciplines in the Christian life. I've listed them in order. 
of doing them within the capacity that God has provided. First of all, it's worship. Worship. Second, it's prayer. Third, it's soul winning. Fourth, is preaching. The next is teaching. And then you have discipleship. And then you have giving. And then you have missions. And then you have benevolence. And then you have fellowship. Those are the ten disciplines of the Christian life. For time's sake, I only have time to share one of them. Because if I'm going to share every one of those ten, then we will be here till the evening come. So just one. How can I pray in faith? How can I pray in faith? James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent prayer is praying like you really mean it. It's more than just a casual, you know, we thank you, Jesus, please, and if not, give us the grace to bear it. No, that's not it. There's something about being desperate in prayer that makes us effective. You know, I fear we offer too many sleepy, lazy prayers. We don't feel deeply stirred by the situation. So our prayers never rise above the level of a young. David never did much yawning because his problems always brought him to his knees. Make no mistake, David is a, is a warrior. He's fierce. You don't want to mess with David. But he always prayed desperately, fervently, in every situation in his life. We have so many psalms. The reason why we have so many psalms is because David had so many problems. Yeah. One that should be our favorite is from Psalms 61. Open your Bibles then. Psalm 61 and verse 2. Psalm 61 and verse 2. It says there, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. This is David speaking. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David teaches us that we can call out to God at any time from any place. What a beautiful thing. David insists that from the ends of the earth, no matter where we are, physically and in life, we're near to God. No matter how far you may have grown, regardless of how far you've wandered away from God, it only takes one step to get back to Him. And that's a good thing too, when your heart feels overwhelmed. Now many things overwhelm our hearts. For example, when a friend or a loved one is dying and medical science can do nothing about it, your heart becomes overwhelmed. When your husband or your wife gets interested in someone else and leaves you, it's overwhelming. 
When your children are in open rebellion and friction rules at home, that's overwhelming. Or when you've lost your job and have no way to pay the rent. No one stands with you. You feel overwhelmed. What should you do in cases like this? Here's what David says. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's wonderful to know there is a place of strength, a place of salvation and refuge that is higher than all of us. When I've come to the limit of my ability, I take great comfort in knowing that I have one who can take things up for me. When I've hit the wall and feel crushed, how wonderful, how wonderful it is to flee to the rock that is higher than I. Who is that rock? In the very next Psalm, Psalm 62, here's what David declares in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 62. Truly my soul waited upon God. From Him cometh my salvation. He is my rock. He is only my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. As David pondered his thought, his faith grew. The longer he meditated on his rock, the more his faith expanded until he could write in chapter 62 and verse 6, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Now, did you notice how his perspective changed from verse 1 and 2 down to verse 6? The second time around, David took out the word greatly. Do you notice that? He went from, you know, saying, I might be moved a little bit, but not much. To when I when God is my rock and my strength and my defense, I shall not be moved at all. There's a difference. When you and I face a different uh, desperate situation, our hearts are heavy. And so we take it to the Lord in prayer. We lay any problem before the Lord, and as we do, the Spirit of God ministers to us even while we are praying. By the time we finish our prayers, we have victory. And we know God will take care of it. You and I have the assurance that God will work everything out. You know, my fears blow away and my anxiety dissolves. And most of the time, I end up rejoicing. Christians who suffer through overwhelming situations frequently become the most spiritual people. Yeah. They're, they're the most spiritual people in my, in my life I've ever met. Precisely because their troubles have driven them to prayer. David said, my heart, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Why don't you pray that prayer this morning? Lead me to the rock. Notice that we need to be led to the rock. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He leads. He leads to Jesus Christ, our rock, our strength, our deepness. Perhaps you feel overwhelmed by 
circumstances of life. You don't know where to turn. You don't know where to go. If your difficult circumstances are more than you can ever bear, then come to the rock that is higher than you. Jesus Christ will deliver and strengthen you. He will deliver and strengthen you to no end. He will lead you to a place of strength and victory. And you will be able to say with David in Psalms chapter 14, verses 2 to 3. Psalms 40, verse 2 and 3. David said, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. That's what God wants to do for you. He'll take you out of the miry clay and lift you up out of the horrible pit if you'll just turn things over to Him and give Him a chance to work. When we pray by the Spirit, we don't insist that God answers our prayers in only one way. Just because He answers prayer in one manner at one time doesn't mean He's locked into that method forever. David understood this. In answer to specific uh, prayer regarding a crucial battle, God's Spirit led him to victory over the princes. But his enemies didn't stay down for long. You know, when, when you win a battle, get ready for the next. Because there's more. And so David understood this. His enemies didn't stay down for long. In First Chronicles, if you will go there, Chapter 14, verses 13 to 15, it says there, And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God. And God said unto him, Go not up after them, turn away from them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle, for God is gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. See, this is where we often make a mistake. We think we have God's methods figured out. So we don't bother to pray for his direction again. David had enough wisdom to know that although he would soon face the same enemy in circumstances similar to what he had seen before, he still needed to inquire of the Lord. Instead of saying, let's go, let's go then, he once more sought the counsel of the Lord. And he asked the Lord, shall we go out against them again? He asked. God replies, no, not this time around. I've got a different plan. God is not confined to one method. We should never follow patterns simply because they work in the past. We need to continually seek God's wisdom and guidance for every new situation. Spirit-led prayer seeks God's ways of accomplishing His will. So keep yourself open in prayer to the leading of God's Spirit 
So, 45 minutes na ang preaching na. Okay. Kasi yun lang ako sanayin. I heard there's a preacher who preached two hours and you did not go home. So, I was short last night. So, bear with me. So, keep yourself open in prayer to the leading of God's Spirit. Continue to seek God's mind and His ways and realize that God may want to lead you in a different and totally new way this time around. Now, the walk of faith is a difficult walk. Hindi po sinasabi madali to live by faith. No, it's a difficult walk. We would like it much better if we could get some specific indications along the way. Yung yes or no. This way or that way. Walking by faith is not only difficult, it can also be confusing. If we keep getting blocked in something we've been praying about, is God saying no? Or is Satan trying to hinder us from doing the work of God? Hmm. It can be difficult to know where to persevere in prayer and to and when to realize I'm just trying to receive God. It's confusing sometimes. The Lord doesn't want me to do this, or does he? It encourages me so much to know that God does not leave me alone in my prayer. In fact, His Spirit prays for me when I'm not even sure how to pray. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps with our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now suppose you have a friend who repeatedly gets in trouble with the Lord. He gets arrested again and again. And then he calls you to post bail. What a friend. You love the guy and you want to help him. But you question yourself. Are you really helping him by bailing him out repeatedly? Or are you just enabling him to continue his rebelliousness because he never has to face the full consequences of his behavior? How do you pray for such a man? How do you pray for such a person? Now, I suggest something like the following. Lord, what do I do about this guy? I bring him before you. He's in a mess again, Lord. God, I don't know how to pray for him. But I ask that you explain my prayer according to your will. Sometimes that's the very best way to pray in the Spirit. You simply give it all over to Him. I wish I had more distinctive, a more definitive way of ascertaining when God wants me to move and when He doesn't. But honestly, I don't. I'm just like you. I pray in faith, trusting God. And then I move and hope that I've done the right thing. I trust that God is great enough 
that I've made a mistake, that when I make a mistake, you'll help me to correct it. Now, I, I once heard a story. I'm almost done. Did you notice my preaching what happened? Point number one, point number two, point number three. You'll never know when I'm finished. That keeps you anxious. Okay. I heard a story, an interesting story that concerning the building of Solomon's temple. The stones of the temple were quarried offside, offside, and brought to the temple mount with each stone labeled to show where it came. Now, the quarry workers have carved them in such a way that the blocks interlocked, meaning the builders didn't have to use mortar. As the temple rose on Mount Moriah, observers have heard no sound of hammer or trowels. The story goes that one stone arrived, but without any markings on it. The builders didn't know where it's supposed to go. So they thought they made a mistake at the quarry. They've sent us this stone that doesn't seem to fit anywhere. So they cast it aside. And over time, weeds have covered the discarded stone. Finally, the time came when the only piece of lacking, uh, the only piece lacking is the chip cornerstone. So the builder sent a message to the quarry. He said, hey, you haven't sent us the chief cornerstone yet. The quarry workers replied, yes, we did. It's in our records that it left here some time ago. Now a big dispute arose over the issue until someone finally stumbled across a stone hidden in the weeds. And they realized that the stone the builders rejected was in fact the chief cornerstone. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the stone that the builders rejected. And yet he is the chief cornerstone of God, of God's entire plan of redemption. In him alone can you find salvation. Only by faith in him can we enter or see the kingdom of God. Once we place our faith in Jesus, our adventure of faith begins. We learn to trust Him for our needs, for guidance, for everything that matters. But we always have a choice. We always have a choice. Will we believe His promises and exercise our faith? Or will we reject His word and choose unbelief? Now consider the following contrast between faith and unbelief. On which side do you think? Faith believes the promises of God. Unbelief rejects God's promises. Faith believes the word of God because it is true. Unbelief rejects the truth of the word. Faith sees that God's help is greater than any force that can come against you. Unbelief looks at the problems and declares it, it just can't be done. Faith sees Christ's love when he is reproving you. Unbelief imagines anger in Christ's loving words. 
Faith helps the soul to wait when God delays. Belief gives up if there is any clarity at all. Faith gives you comfort in the midst of fear. The unbelief brings you fear in the midst of comfort. Faith makes heavy burdens light. Unbelief makes light burdens heavy. Faith helps us when we are down. Unbelief brings us down when we are up. Faith brings us near to God when we are far from Him. Unbelief puts us far from God when He is near. Faith sets men and women free. Unbelief holds them in bondage. Faith purifies the heart. Unbelief pollutes the heart. Faith makes our most feeble work acceptable to God through Christ. Unbelief makes even our greatest works unacceptable. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith brings peace to our soul. Unbelief brings strife and trouble like the tossing waves of the sea. Faith causes us to see the preciousness of Christ. Unbelief sees no beauty that we should desire. Faith helps, our, helps us experience the fullness of Christ. Unbelief leads to leanness of soul. Faith gives the victory. Unbelief leads to defeat. Faith causes us to glory, to see the glory in the things of the unseen world. Unbelief sees only the misery and the things of the present material world. By faith, Abraham was given the land of promise. Unbelief in Moses disallowed him to enter the land. By faith, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. By unbelief, they perished in the wilderness. By faith, Peter walked on water. By unbelief, he began to sink. Through faith, our cups running over. Through unbelief, our cups are always empty. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, invites you to walk in faith with Him each day. His love is, is sure. His plan for you is precious. He opens wide His arms and offers you an invitation. He says, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't cast him aside. Don't reject him. As the builders of Solomon's temple disregarded the chief cornerstone so many centuries ago, follow him joyfully in full assurance of faith and learn for yourself the truth of these stunning words in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Hallelujah. Let us all stand. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. God has blessed you with his word. I believe you have a prayer. I believe when God blesses you with his word and challenges you with his word, 
then you are to respond to that challenge by faith. Would you come to God right now with your heart to speak to Him? Speak to the Lord. Pastor Sam. It's been a spirit of prayer, and if you've been blessed by God, the altar is open here. You can pray at the front and commit yourself to the Lord, make a decision. Truly, our spiritual cup this weekend has been blessed and filled by God's wonderful and precious word. More than ever, as Christians, we need to live by faith, walk by faith. We need to do it. We need actions to accompany it. And thank God for the instructions, the admonitions from God's Word. This morning, it's been highlighted that we are assured as Christians, no matter what happens in this life, the challenges, the difficulties, the struggles, He promised in Philippians 1.6, we are confident of this very thing, that we, He which had begun a good work in Him, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, God had already saved us. He solved our greatest problem, the sin problem. It's curse, it's penalty. But our Christianity doesn't end there. He encouraged us to continue to grow in His grace and His knowledge to be sanctified, to be set apart for Him before we'll be glorified one of His days. So, I ask you, if you have a burden in your heart this morning, just come to Him. Altar is open in your seat and pray to God individually, directly unto Him. And tell Him, Lord, here's one that's in my heart for some time, a burden. Maybe you have some loved ones or friends, family members who's not been living by faith. They've been living for the world. They've been living for themselves. They've been living for the temporal things that this world can offer. You can see a leanness in their soul. They had disregarded the spiritual, their spiritual well-being. I hope that the Lord will use us to encourage them, to instruct them. In love, probably rebuke them and tell them, Hey, it's now time to get back to God. Hope that they will realize that they should not waste their lives, their strength in the things of this world and disregard the one who, who saved them for a reason and for a purpose. I hope and pray that with this uh, pandemic happening around us, this virus, that a lot of Christians have been cold and negligent of their faith. But I hope we will not be found like that. It will not stop us from pursuing God's will and purpose in our lives because He's always there to strengthen us, to guide us. I really love what our speaker said, even though we've been far from God, we had been away from Him. It only takes one step 
for us to get back into fellowship. We all just need to humble ourselves and ask the Lord to. Lord, let me come back to you. Give me once a, a hunger and thirst. Like, like my involvement in your, in your work, in your church, in my spiritual life should be rekindled, will restart again. Help me to focus on you and not to be sidetracked with everything that the world of flesh and the devil throws at me. And we can do that by faith, by God's grace. If you're here and you're not sure where you're going to spend your eternity when you die, our preacher had emphasized that it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us that, that our life also is short and fleeting. We don't hold our lives in our hands. There's no promise of tomorrow if we're still going to be here. Death is certain. Life is uncertain. But God's love is always there. So all you need to do to get to heaven for that relationship that was broken because of sin, all you need to do for that to be mended is to trust Christ. Believe Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. If there's any person here who's not sure where they're going to spend their eternity when they die, why not trust Christ today? We're not offering you religion, but we're offering you a relationship with Christ. This is a simple way. Humble yourselves. Pray to God this way. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner, but I also believe that you love me. And you died on the cross, you shed your blood for my forgiveness, for my salvation. I believe that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. I now repent of all my sins. Forgive me for all my sins. And by faith, I want to ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and personal Savior. Save me this moment. And help me to know you more and live for you from this day forth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray the prayer, if you've not done that before, ever, please let us know, see us. Be more than happy to open the Bible and share to you what you have done in the plan of salvation. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And tonight, God can hear our prayers, God can hear our hearts today, believers, Christians, whatever you pray before God. Give it to Him. By faith, ask Him to move in a special way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for the preciousness of thy word. We thank you, Lord, for using your servant to preach to us the words of life. Thank you, Lord, we are encouraged once again in this day and age that we live in. When you even said in your word, Lord, will I find faith when I come again in the last days? I hope, Lord, that we will be found faithful, that there's a Christian here, a remnant, that will still believe on the word of God and act on it and share it to others, Lord, that desperately need it. Lord, we need thee every hour, Lord. We cannot 
live the Christian life apart from your grace. Lord, increase our faith, strengthen our faith, so we can do more things for you. So we can be a child blessing first and foremost to our household, to our family, that will be that light and soul, that we can be, Lord, that beacon of hope in this lost and dying world. And also, Lord, help us to use, reach our community and save loved ones and friends and be an encouragement to those who are, Lord, uh, being weakened in their faith and help us, Lord, to be strong so we can bring others to you, Lord. We just totally depend upon you, Father. Give us your grace and mercy now and strengthen us. And bless the words in, of life in our hearts today, what have been preached. May they continue to linger, Lord, and continue to, to germinate in our hearts and bring forth fruit. And help us to apply it and, and do it, Lord, in our Christian living. And we give all the glory, honor, and praise. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.